0: Please go ahead and have a seat. Well, you might be wondering why we asked you to sit like this. Um, I just wanted to find out which gender went to Chapelmore. (laughs) Men, you lost. And there's even more of you at Dort than there are women. I'll explain that a little later on why I asked you more specifically in order to do this today. Men, I'm hoping you guys are already planning on coming back tonight. And now, I know especially inviting a friend along at 8 o'clock. We're going to come back here and watch The Heart of Man. And I have heard um, disappointment from a number of women who've all said, well, that's not even fair. In fact, that's sexist. You're showing a movie and women aren't even allowed to come. What is wrong with you, Aaron? And I hear you. All I'm saying is we got to get some stuff cleaned up as men to be the men that you need us to be. So please give us just a little bit of space to get some work done. And, um, and if you want to watch the film, it's a fantastic film. Go ahead. It's on Amazon Prime, or Netflix. You can grab it online as well. So if we can ask for that, just give us some space. Uh, we'll come back better men for you. That's the goal. Oh, and one other thing. Someone, will someone please give Ray a tour of the nursing department afterwards? Because they don't drive to Sioux City anymore, right? All right, will you pray with me? Father, it is so good to gather with your people, with our brothers and sisters, to ask hard questions, to know that you know us inside and out, to know that this is the safest place to be in all the world, in your presence, in your transforming presence. Father, we ask that as we go through this series and this time Asking questions and tackling issues regarding our sexuality And the ways that it is attacked Father, we pray that walls come down We pray that rebirth and new life happens We pray that ground is taken in Jesus' name And we pray that you would do this because you love your kids so much You hate it when we hurt You hate the brokenness that steals flourishing from us And you came to put us right with you. So use this time to do this in this part of our lives. We lay this before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, we're going through this series called Grace and Truth. And the first book was uh, 1.0, Five Conversations Every Thoughtful Christian Should Have About Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And then there was a 2.0 with the next five questions, and in this series, as you know, we're only doing five weeks, so I'm kind of cherry-picking out of both books, taking my five favorites, and creating those conversations here in chapel, and hopefully some of you are having them outside of chapel as well. And our topic for today that we come across in the book is six relational do's and don'ts, but there was a problem when I came reading through this chapter, um, so I actually had to change everything. You see, in this chapter, he's talking about the six relational do's and don'ts when it comes to Christians engaging LGBTQ plus people. And one of the lines in there was this. It was a subsection called how, never use the line, um, love the sinner, hate the sin. And he says, instead of love the sinner, hate the sin, why not love the sinner, hate your own sin? And let's pursue Jesus together as broken people in need of grace went on to say this here's an observation you can take to the bank we christians tend to vilify the sins we're least likely to commit and this has been a massive problem among straight christians so i wanted us to gather this morning and talk about hating our own sin instead of hating somebody else's we need to talk about me before them and here's a little pro tip for judgment day a little christianity hack you will not stand before jesus one day, and he asks you, so what do you think about so-and-so's sin? You will be accountable for your life. You will be accountable for what you have done, but not anybody else. There is a fascination on our part, and I think this is why LGBTQ plus issues are such a big issue, not only within our culture, but within Christian churches, because for the numerical majority of us, we're talking about somebody else's sin. And in fact, many times, we're talking about somebody else's sin that most of us can't even relate to and so it's very easy to cast judgment in that setting but our role first and foremost and those are important conversations to have we are going to have them on november 6 we're going to talk about lgbtq plus inclusion in the church now the church is supposed to respond but i thought it would be wrong if we started there any moment of transformation for a body always starts with coming before jesus and saying start with me Start with me and my brokenness, because brothers and sisters, we've got a lot of it. I've been doing this job for 10 years now, and I have more meetings in my office with you guys talking about hurts in relation to the areas of our lives regarding sexuality than any other topic. We are so vulnerable here. I think this is still Satan's favorite sin to trip up Christians. And so instead of talking about six relational do's and don'ts as it pertains to dating and sexuality— um for other people i thought maybe we should start by talking about us so i came up with my own 10 years of observations six relational do's and don'ts number one don't ever assume you are incomplete without a significant other now i understand that there's probably a my guess is is brigham young only has the higher marrying rate than dort university um, out of any school in this country And we joke about MRS degrees and Ring by Spring and all of this kind of language. But the reality is is that many of us are looking for someone in life. And many of us are at a place where we decided to come to a Christian place because we didn't want to find a life partner at a bar. And that's not entirely wrong. But we need to start here. You need to start, before thinking about Ring by Spring, before thinking about how you define yourself by somebody else, You need to understand who you are before God first. You see, the best way you're ever going to be in a relationship with anybody, or if you are in a relationship with anybody, the way you're going to do that the best is if you already realize and understand your full identity in Christ. The best work you do even inside of a relationship. I've been married 20 years. Jesus does his best work in me and in areas regarding my sexuality when I am away from my wife and just with him. You need to be able to get away and find that place. You need to let him convict you and point out the areas of life where you need to get some work done. And the better we are in our singleness, the better we become later on for those of us who are called to marriage. But not everybody is. And this is such a terrible thing that we've done in the Christian community is we ask people all the time, so "Have you found somebody yet?" And everybody wants to set everybody else up. We don't start with the assumption that maybe God wants some of us to be single. Maybe God gets great things done in the kingdom of God through a lot of single men and women. Maybe some of the best stuff in history has been done by people who weren't called to be in a marital relationship. Paul says it. Now the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. It's good. But if they can't control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Doesn't marriage sound like the consolation prize for people who can't control themselves? That's not me. Bring it up with Paul, people. But that is, that's, there's a lot to this. So we've got this weird thing where we've made people feel like you're incomplete if you aren't already in a relationship or if you're not already figured out whether or not you even want to be married. And so we assume there's something wrong with you if that's the case. I think we really have to flip it the other way around um, and, and ask ourselves and validate within our churches and in our conversations and within our friend groups, um, is it possible that there are many of us here that God's actually calling to singleness? Absolutely beautiful, virtuous, godly singleness. I don't know. Paul got a lot done as a single guy. Planted a lot of churches, evangelized a lot of the world. Um, You can get a lot done in that setting, and some of us need to think really, really seriously about that. But in order to do so, you have to ask some hard questions about um, self-understanding and identity and not defining ourselves by who we're in relationship with or what we're attracted to but defining ourselves by who God says we are and what he's asking us to do with our lives. Number two, don't think of your single years as your sexuality's pause button because God is always working in the waiting. I've had people ask me this question before. This seems so unfair. God has us sexually come of age in junior high, and then we don't even get married typically until after college, The average American marrying age today is like 32 and 30 for men and for women. That means that the average American Christian is going past their sexual peak before they get married. Like, what's up with that, God? Right? Why would you... One pastor even asked me, so did God set us up to fail then? Like, that is a really hard thing to do. Here's what I've come to learn. If you wanted to show up at Dort and be the all-star on our basketball team and you've never shot hoops before in your own driveway or practiced, good luck making that team. I don't think our coaches are going to be all that impressed with you. You got to do the work beforehand and you got to put in the hours and in the time. The self-control and self-discipline and self-understanding and self-identity that all comes in our singleness is transferable into married life later on. Everybody seems to think that the second you say I do that somehow sexual temptation disappears. Let me let you in on a little secret. For many people, it actually gets worse. It gets harder because now it's not only you who's at stake, but somebody else that you've invited into this, that you've asked to trust you with all that they are. So getting this stuff right in your single years is like preparation for when you actually go to game day. It's when everything's all in the line and the stakes are way higher. You've put in the time and the work and you've let God have his way within you so that you are shaped and formed in a way that you can be a blessing rather than a hindrance to somebody else. God is always working in the waiting and you are the beneficiary. We often forget this, that every law God ever told us is actually for us. God is on your side, and it, this is true when it comes to our sexuality as well. Maybe, just maybe, God's design and the way that he laid this out is built out of his genius. Not that God's holding something out on you, or God doesn't want you to experience joy. God wants you to experience fulfillment. A few years ago, Children Condoms did this national study. They wanted to find out which cities are the most sexually active, and then a Secondary question they asked was and who's actually enjoying their sexuality the most well to no surprise cities like San Francisco were at the top of the list for people who were having the most sex and um, The most diverse types of sex The follow-up question of who actually enjoys their sexuality the most came back in like direct inverse Relationship to the amount of people who were having sex the most with the most amount of people Like it's almost like God knew what he was doing When he tells us what's good for us and to protect us. Every secular science longitudinal social study that's been done has always reported the same thing, that the people who are the most sexually satisfied in life are 40 to 60-year-olds who've been married to the same person heterosexually for all their lives. who have had one partner. Like, God knows what he's doing. He's not trying to leave you disappointed. He's trying to set you up for great success. And it seems counterintuitive, but isn't most things in the kingdom of God like that? That when you give something up early, you experience the benefits of that later on. So learning to deal with the issues of your sexuality now in your singleness will make you a better lover later on. Will allow you to enjoy your sexuality and all of its flourishing the way God intended it. If you are somebody who's been called to be married. You are the beneficiary of a God who is always, always for you. Number three, don't believe everything you read about sex. And I'm looking at you, Cosmo and Men's Health. Okay? On Amazon, there are 200,000 books on sex. 200,000 books on sex on Amazon.com. That's more books than there are on marriage and dating and attraction put together. This is what we call putting the cart before the horse. There's this assumption that great sex comes down to technique. So find every Cosmo magazine as the way you're heading out in the grocery store and all the titles, right? Six moves that'll make him uh, say, wow. Or, you know, f- <laughs> five tricks, five tricks to your woman's best orgasm. Like these are the titles that sit on these articles and everybody's like, ooh, I want to know how to do that, right? So. We're drawn in and we want to read this stuff and figure it all out. But I'm going to let you in on the single biggest sex tip you will need for your entire life. I've been a pastor for over 15 years, counseling couples, done marriage workshops and time, spent so much time talking with people about their sexual brokenness. And I'm convinced of this tip to the core of my being. This is what you need to know about sex more than anything else. Die to yourself. It's not a technique and it's not a trick. If two people come together and their primary goal is to figure out not how can I get what I want and how can I be happy but how do I die to myself and live for the pleasure of somebody else and serve their desires and see their flourishing and if two people are doing that for each other at the exact same time that is a marriage bed on fire that is the people who always have the best sex lives that's people who've done their work with Jesus outside and then come back together and have every intent of dying to themselves and living for somebody else because Jesus' pattern for disciples. Discipleship just doesn't just work when you're at Sunday school. It works in bed, too Because he's a genius and he knows exactly what he's doing So greatest sex tip you're ever going to need to know God's for you He's kind of an expert when he makes you And die to yourself Make it the primary objective of your life and your sexuality To figure out how to die to yourself and live for somebody else And you will find not only their pleasure, but you will also find your own. Because we were made for that level of interaction with one another. When I first started in seminary, I was sitting in a class one day, and they were asking us to all go around the room, and everybody had to give their life verse and introduce themselves. And as we went around, everybody said their name, and, you know, Matthew 28, and they were talking about the Great Commission. There's a thing that we do in evangelical circles where when somebody says what their life verse is, they can just say it like it's Philippians 4.13 and everybody else has to go, "Mm," Right? Like you can't, you can't admit that you don't know the verse, right? Well, I haven't been part of a tradition where everybody has a life verse, so it came to me, and when people make me feel awkward, I usually return the favor by making them feel awkward, um, which is a very godly characteristic in my personality. (laughs) And it came around to my turn, and I was like, I want to test these people. So I'm like, it's Proverbs 5 18 and 19. And I hear a bunch of, mm, mm, yeah, mm. <laughs> May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. <laughs> may you ever be intoxicated with her love. I don't just want to be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. (laughs) I'm half kidding. But I'm 100% serious. Listen to this. Man, like this was actually a benediction, right? Because it's got the whole may language. Like, may your fountain be blessed. Like, imagine this at the end of a worship service. May her breasts satisfy you always, and may you be ever intoxicated with her love. But I want you to hear the specifics, actually, of the words within this, as much as I joke. Always, ever be intoxicated. God's desire is not that our sexuality would be fulfilled because we've found variety and trickery and technique. God's desire for our sexuality is that it actually grows over time why do people who are older report the highest levels of sexual satisfaction because God designed that it would be unfolded over a lifetime because God knows what he's doing he knows how your heart works and how your desires work he knows how your sex drive works he knows all of this it's not a mistake so yes he wants this to be your constant satisfaction And guess what else In the same way that we're beginning to learn that a young mind trained on pornography finds itself addicted to and longing for more pornography, our sexuality wants more of what it's already being given. So if you train your desire to be for your single spouse and none other, then what happens is that reinforces itself and the neurological highways that run inside your mind actually develop from a little path into a superhighway and your desire for the one who's supposed to be the recipient of your desire actually increases over time because love grows on top of itself. And so instead of being a young man today where we've seen in our world become diagnosed with porn-induced erectile dysfunction because their own mind is so associated sexuality with pornography that they can't even be sexually aroused by the wife that God gave them. Instead, we could end up at a place where we're actually doing what God intended for us and reinforcing the love that God had in mind for us from the beginning. Only increasing our pleasure the further we lean into His obedience. Wouldn't that be just like God to do? Congratulations, you got a life verse. Next one, six relational do's and don'ts. Don't ever let your sexuality and your Christianity grow up separately. We have a problem with this because the church doesn't talk about it. This past week, I surveyed every student at Western and Unity through a SurveyMonkey survey. I wanted to find out in our local Christian schools where their their sexual education was coming from, what grade they learned it at, who taught it to them, what would they go back and want to tell their junior high self so we can go back now to our our schools and teach fifth graders and sixth graders um, the, the healthiest curriculum possible. And so I'm, I'm going through these survey results yesterday and looking at all of this and wishing, seeing people wishing they could go back and talk to their junior high self about all the things they wish they knew before they got to high school. And it was, it was sad. I got to the end of it, and the last question was, is how much does your faith impact the decisions you want to make about your sexuality and dating? And almost all of them said... Chick- tick the box totally, like they all want their faith to shape everything about their sexuality, and yet at the same time, when they listed all the things that are the number one temptations in sexuality and dating in their high school, they talked about everything you would expect, Snapchat, pornography, sexting, um, sexual pressures from partners, abuse, all of these things. So they're experiencing these pressures, but they don't know how to reconcile this. And I'm so afraid that we've got way too many people who are growing up with their sexuality and their Christianity not even talking to each other. There isn't even a conversation. In the Garden of Eden, it was shame that drove Adam and Eve to hide. And it is shame that keeps us in hiding still. You must break the cycle of shame when it comes to your sexuality. They are not separate. I have come to believe that our sexuality is so interlaced with our longing for an experience of spirituality that we cannot access one without somehow tapping the other. Deborah Hirsch, former First Monday speaker at DOOR on her book, Redeeming Sex. And yet so many of us have our lives growing up like this, like there's a wall between these two things. And it's just simply not the way it's supposed to be. They're supposed to talk to each other. They're supposed to interact with each other. I was reading back through Matt Chandler's book, Mingling of Souls. We've used that in the past in our premarital workshop here at Dort. And he talks about it. And this language is kind of crass, but he gets right to the point. He says, we keep acting like God formed man out of the dust of the earth, and then Satan formed the penis. Or that God formed woman out of man, out of the rib, and then... God formed her sexual desires in her vagina, and he's like, this is just not the way it works. God made all of you. This is all his. Stop pretending like Satan has sovereignty over our sexuality, and God gets the rest of it. That is a short changing of everything that you were created to be. You have to find a way to get a conversation going between your Christianity and your sexuality if you want to experience fulfillment in both. And if you want to close the doors on the places that are ruining relationships and marriages and churches. Sexuality was God's idea in the first place, Deborah Hirsch says. He not only understands it, but he knows the type of power it can wield over us. And he understands how it causes us to stumble again and again. God gets it. You guys, I am thrilled. My calendar got full after last week's chapel. There was a bunch of you who were all I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit to set up an appointment and start talking about the things Congratulations, you are closer today to healing than you were a week ago. That is beautiful And if any of you are in this room and you're like man, I'm being convicted of something that I'm struggling with It's time to get Jesus in conversation with your unwanted sexual behavior and with your brokenness And experience the power of a resurrected Savior because it belongs in this part of your life as well Six relational do's and don'ts. Next one. Best catalyst in your discipleship makes the best significant other. Well, what do I mean by that? If I'm sitting down with Jessica Halls from our counseling center and we're doing the premarital workshop, um, what we're in the spring, we do premarital and pre engagement workshops. And what we do is we give everybody this book to read by Gary Thomas called Sacred Marriage. And I love the concept built within it because it just dismantles a cultural assumption about what marriage is even for. We often talk about being married and finding someone that will make us happy. But he says, what if God's designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Here's what you're looking for in a mate, okay? If you come across the person who makes you you-ear, to borrow a word from John Ortberg, who makes you more the person God created you to be, marry them. If you find the one person in the world who's better at refining you into the likeness of Jesus than anybody else that that's that's the person you want to be with i've been married in nicole for 20 years i decided that that day when i wanted to marry her when i realized this i like me more with her than anybody else on this planet i've ever met i like who i'm able to become when i'm with her you already experienced this in your friendships right some people you hang out with them and you leave being like i just i like me like i didn't feel like i violated me When I was with them, like I I became who God called me to be more so with them and in their presence and their positive influence on my life. You need to be looking for the same thing in people you're dating. You need to find someone who's the best catalyst at helping you grow in your faith. Because it's not easy, Dan Allender and Trimper Longman say it like this, we must never be naive enough to think of marriage as a safe harbor from the fall. The deepest struggles of life will occur in the most primary relationship affected by the fall marriage. All right, last one. Treat this, seeking a life, mate, if you're not called to singleness, but you really do believe that you're looking for someone, treat this like it's the biggest decision you'll ever make. Why do I say that? The level of impact that the one person you're going to let the closest into your life is going to have on you is so profound And there's certain things where older people always tell you, you don't understand this now, but it'll make sense later. And they just say, just trust us. And I don't know how else to explain this one, but just trust me. As time goes on, there is nobody else who's going to have a greater impact on either nudging you in the direction of Jesus or pushing you away from him than the person you're going to wake up to every morning for the rest of your life. If you had to wake up tomorrow and face the worst day of your life, or you had to wake up tomorrow and face the best day of your life, who's the person you would want standing beside you to do that with? If you know who that person is, that's who you marry. I'm convinced of that. That is absolutely, because you don't know what tomorrow holds. You can't control the future. We go online and we find dating partners, and they do it all based on compatibility. Compatibility doesn't build discipleship. A sharing of certain values certainly is part of it. But often, dissonance creates more discipleship. Jesus challenges you. Right? You need someone who's going who's to tell you when you don't look like Christ. You need someone who's going to stand with you through hard things. You need someone who knows has a healthy theology of suffering and of struggle because life isn't always easy. And someone who's going to walk with you back to a place of kneeling and prayer every time you're hurt. And every time you need something in the next step of life. This, import, this decision is so important, so it's worth spending time thinking about this, and it's worth each one of us preparing ourselves to be that person for somebody else, or for those of us in the room who are all mar- already married, there's still more work to do. There always is. So now, why I asked you to stand like this, or why I asked you to sit like this, I did it for this reason, because um, I want to close today with a, li- a little bit of prayer um, over each other. I'm mean, In a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to lead you in in prayer, and then I just want to set the stage for you. I I want to ask every woman on this campus to pray over our men. I want to pray for protection from their struggles and their temptations. I want to pray over them to be seeking after the heart of God so they can be everything that God has called them to be. We want to pray for them to be the catalysts that are going to help and grow our campus. We want to ask them to tackle the hard things and to step into difficult places and be the men that God created them to be. And men, we're going to ask the same thing of you. To be able to stand up and pray over the women on this campus. If you're already married, be them your spouse or just be everybody else in general. If you are already married, you understand how important this conversation is. And we're just going to spend some time praying over each other. So will you please rise? Will you please turn to face each other? Let me lead you into prayer. Father, we acknowledge again this morning your genius. Male and female, you created them. That it's our diversity that mimics the Trinity itself. It's our interdependence on one another that's part of our image bearing that makes us look like you. And Father, we repent that so often we've left our sexuality out of our discipleship. We just haven't let you in there enough. We pray that you would reconnect that conversation within each one of us today. And we pray now in this time that you would lay on our hearts the things to pray. For the other gender on this campus. For the things that they stand in need of. For the walls that need to come down. For the ways that we can uphold one another. We give you this time in prayer. Oh, Father, we love you. And we want to love those who bear your image really well. We confess that so often we have not done that for those of the other gender. And we pray repentance. And we pray for a ministry of your spirit right now in this place, in all the deep places inside where we've been hurt by others or where we've chosen hurt, or we've chosen sin and rejected what you wanted for us. And we ask that you would step into that and in the name of Jesus I pray that walls would come down I pray that strongholds of sin that have existed for too long would be broken and I pray that we would be better for one another I pray that there would not be abuse or coercion on this campus I pray that the relationships that already exist find ways to have conversations connecting sexuality and you in your will and I pray that you strengthen our desire to chase after you before we chase after our own longings we give this to you We ask for your blessing on our singleness, on our marriedness, on our searching, on our desires. In Jesus' name.